Good morning, Wall Church. Um, I'm excited to be here with you. For those of you who don't know me, my name is uh, Ryan Ivey. I'm uh, a church planning apprentice here at Walk Church. Just what that means is uh, for the last couple of years, Christ has been working on mine and my wife's heart. And we decided last October to move here to join in God's activity. And so for, for the next year or so, we're, we're hoping to learn so much. We've already learned so much in the last six months, uh, but we're hoping to learn even more about uh, church planning and, and that. And, and this time next year, we hope to, to launch services uh, for another church called Image Church in the Mountain's Edge area of Las Vegas. So, yeah. We're excited about all that God's teaching us and what he's doing in our lives and, and just so grateful for you. Uh, another reminder I, I want to give us, because I, I think it, it's easy for us to take uh, this man right up here for granted. I mean, you get this incredible leader week in and week out, but, but he's one of the most gifted speakers of God's word. And so we, we, I just want to just honor him. Um, we are so gifted here at Walk. Amen. I was telling somebody the other day, I, I, I've never met someone. With the anointing of the Lord, more on this uh, on them than this brother right here. I'm um, just absolutely incredible. I just learned so much from you and Nina and the whole team. Uh, this church is awesome. I'm grateful for y'all. Uh, I hate that um, you can't meet my wife today. She's not here. She's visiting family uh, back in Mobile, Alabama. But she would, would love to meet you. So you got to come back next week if you hadn't met her. Because um, she is the best part about me. And so you got to meet her. Um, but, but today I, I want us to go to... Uh, Ephesians chapter 4. That's where we're going to camp out this morning. We, we just jumped back in our series on Ephesians last week. Uh, <clears throat> Pastor Hyden preached a dynamic message uh, about personal unity, on how our role in unity, what that looks like, and how we're to be humble, gentle, and patient. But before that, the first three chapters of Ephesians give us a little bit of context. It's something that we would call orthodoxy. And what orthodoxy is, it's just um, um, theology. It's just about who God is, who Jesus is, and, 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 and his part and, and salvation for us. And so that's what we looked at for the first three chapters. But even though Paul didn't write in chapters, the Ephesians would have known uh, just a stark contrast when we got to Ephesians 4.1. Because Paul says, I therefore. And he makes this transition that now everything you've already heard we're going to shift from orthodoxy to something called orthopraxy. And that means how does this apply to our lives? What does this call us to do now in light of the word? And so that's where we find ourselves. And, and, and Paul really keys in on this idea of, of unity. And so one week was not enough. And so we keyed in on it last week and our personal role in unity. And this week what we're looking at is what it looks like for, for church corporate unity. In a message I've titled, One Church United. One church united. You're going to see this theme of one throughout the passage we're reading. Um, but this is what, what God's calling us to be, is one church united around the right things. We're going to get more into that. But I want us to, to read Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 1. We're going to read all the way through 6, and then really camp out in verses 3 through 6. So starting in verse 1, it says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Let's pray. God, God, we love you. 
God, we thank you that you set the perfect example of unity. And God, I pray that you would speak to us this morning. I I thank you for a unified church, but I'm asking for an increase this morning. God, that we would be even more unified around your word. God, speak to us. We don't need another word from man. We need a word from you, God. Speak to us through your word this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, this, is, this is an exciting topic to talk about because unity is so interesting because we can look at it throughout history at so many different things, that, um, what people have been able to accom- accomplish through unity. I'm not even talking like just in the Bible, but I mean, you see this at, at so many different ventures in life um, that, that, that people have done some incredible things when they've been unified on a task. I mean, you see like the pyramids, like that's insane that they could do that, but, but they were unified around the task. And one of the areas you see in Scripture that, that's so interesting, we're going to get to Genesis 11 in just a second, but, but a little bit of context. Um, when, when God created Adam and Eve, he, he gave them something called the cultural mandate. And what that is is that he, he commanded them to uh, be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it. And so what that means is that um, we are image bearers of Christ. And this is where we get this word um, image for image church, because image means a visual representation of something. So when God made mankind, he made us to be his visual representation here on earth. And so in that, he said to fill the earth and subdue it, which means have dominion over all of creation because that's my position. I have dominion over everything, but I've given it to you. And what happened is that they didn't follow that command. And what we see in Genesis 11, instead they decided to just congregate to just stay together. We don't want to fill the whole earth. We just want to fill this small little area. And they begin building this tower called the Tower of Babel. And some people kind of translate it as they thought they were trying to reach God in the heavens. But I think it's better translated that they were trying to be like God, to elevate themselves above everything else. And so even though God was so upset that they didn't listen to what he told them to do, He says something really profound that Pastor Hyden showed me just a few weeks ago um, in chapter 11, verse 6. He says, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they have all one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Now this is crazy, because this is the God of the universe, the creator of everything, and he's looking at these people. And even though they've disobeyed him, they've messed it up, He's saying that because they were united, because they, they had one mission, that there's not a thing in the world that they can't do, that, that, that nothing's going to be impossible for them. So, so our first point this morning is that, that, that unity is unstoppable. I mean, you can see this at so many other ventures in life. Uh, one of the things that, that comes to my mind is, is, is Nazi Germany. They were unified uh, and did some horrific things. Right? And the only way that they were stopped is when we had other forces uniting around the same goal to put an end to them. Right? So, so unity is not enough. That's why I use that example. It's not enough to just be unified. Our second point today is that we must be unified around the right things. We must be unified around the right things. Because if we unify around the wrong things, we're going to miss it. We might do some really cool, grandiose, big things, and bringing God no honor and glory. And if that's the case, we've missed it. 
Right? So, so I want us to set the stage on, on how important unity is, but how even more important um, that we unify around the right things. One of the first things I wanted to highlight in the verses that we looked at is this is one of the first times you see the Trinity. Not one of the first times, it's one of the rare times. You don't see it a lot in Scripture. You see different parts of the Trinity. But, but not a lot you see them all in one. You see them in the creation. You see them in the baptism of Jesus, Jesus' death. But here we, we have one Spirit, one Lord, one God and Father of all. And the reason Paul puts this in here it's because when we put our faith in Jesus, we are living every single day to become more and more like Jesus, right? And, and Jesus is an example of the most perfect um, trinity, uh, the most perfect Godhead, the most perfect people in all of history, right? He, he is our example of unity, not just unity, unity around the right things. Right. So if, if it's not enough um, to share with you how powerful unity can be, then maybe it's enough of that how perfect of an example it is from God our Father. And so I hope we've set the foundation that, that unity is important. Right? Because if we just talk about how to pursue unity and, and we have no purpose for it, right? it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, then we're just wasting our breath. But now I hope we've established that, that unity is important because it's unstoppable. That's right. But we must unite around the right things. Paul gives us four things here. Four things that, that we are to unite around as a church. The, the first one, uh, starting in verse 4, it says, There is one body. There is one body. And this is, is so interesting here because Paul uses this language a lot. You see it in 1 Corinthians. Um, you see it in Romans 12. Uh, he uses this language of the church being the body of Christ. I mean, in Romans 12, he says, um, um, Individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, but let us use them. Right, so, so Paul's saying we're all different parts of the body. We all have different gifts. But one of the, the big problems of the church is that we don't like our gift. We might be a foot, but we would rather be a mouth. Wow. Or maybe we would rather be eyes when we're really just an elbow. And that's why uh, we, we can't get a lot of things accomplished that God wants us to accomplish. It's because we're arguing what we want to be, and we won't fulfill our purpose, but we can't do it unless every single part of the body is unified and together. Right? We have to figure out what God uniquely made us for and then pursue that. I mean, some of us, I've heard, man, all I can do, all I'm good at is, is greeting. Praise God. God gifted you with that. that, that that's not just all that you, you can do. And God's gifted you in that. I, I don't know about you, but, but for me, there, there's some Sunday mornings where everything seems to go wrong. Right? Where, where I wake up late, where the hot water heater was broke, I mean, it got cut off in traffic, all these things. And I show up, and I'm just in a bad mood, not ready to listen to anything. However, it's a greet from Sister Seaham or, or Dorlisa or... or Miss Maria or, or somebody else that, that changes my morning. That said, hey, I'm excited that you're here today. I'm glad to see you. Which, which begins to prepare my heart for worship. That's, right. That's crucial. I mean, you could open up the door for someone to hear the gospel today. That's not second class ministry. 
That's vital. And so is everything else we do here, from, from, from the kids to the media team, from the worship team to the pre I mean, every part is crucial in the body. So we have to stop arguing who, who's more important or what we would rather do and find our purpose and unify around that and unify around the mission. And then God can use us to do great things. Right? For we're constantly arguing about uh, who's going to get the fame, who's going to get the glory, or, or who's going to do what. We're not getting very far. Right, but we got to find our lane and, and then pursue that and unify around that. And God can use that to do great things. So that's the first thing, that, that we got to unify around one body. But then it continues in one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope. So, so we unify around um, one body and then secondly, one hope. And this is an interesting word because we, we throw it around a lot. Right? I, I hope there's going to be... Uh, some good treats at church this morning. There always is, Amen. right? Or I hope my flight gets in on time. I hope my sports team wins. We're hoping a lot of things. But uh, I, I want to give you a definition of hope from dictionary.com. And that definition is the excitement about an expected outcome. Yes, sir. That, that's what hope is, excitement about an expected outcome. And, and really, uh, the only time that, that hope is realized is when that expected outcome becomes a reality, but the, the travesty is, is we put hope in so many things that will not guarantee that outcome. Let me, let me give you an example. For, for me, um, if Kirsten, my wife, was here, she would tell you a different story, but I'm going to tell you the real one since she's not here. Um, I, I, I pursued my wife for four years. Um, she would tell you I, I was distracted maybe for a year of that. So, but three out of four years, um, I, I, I pursued her and, and tried to get a date with her. And finally, she lowered her standards, and she went out with me. <laughs> and so uh, two, two things there. Um, ladies, don't do that. <laughs> Guys, there's hope, right? Uh, but but it, was, it was like three years of me idolizing this girl. She was the most gorgeous girl in the universe. She still is. I mean, she was incredible. She loved Jesus. She had the same passions I did. She was perfect. And when she finally went on that first date with me, uh, we, we dated for six months, and those six months were perfect. Any argument or, or quarrel we had, it was my fault. Like She, she did no wrong until I, she realized that this was a really unhealthy relationship. And she, she sat me down and said, hey, you've put me on this pedestal. You have this expectation for me that I'm never going to reach. She said, hey, your hope is in me, but I'm going to let you down. It's not a matter of, of if, I'm going to. And it's a matter of when and how often. And so I need you to stop putting your hope in me and put it in Jesus. So that just made her even that much awesomer, right? <laughs> right, but, but that's what we do. Right, we find things that satisfy our heart and we put our hope in it. Maybe it's our kids, maybe it's our job, maybe it's our future, maybe it's money, and maybe it's so many other things. But the reality is 100 times out of 100, it's going to let you down. It's going to. There's only one thing in all of existence that won't, and that is Jesus Christ. That is Jesus Christ, Amen. And the reason is, is because, like we said, uh, hope is an expected outcome, right? This is what we um, hope is going to happen. Yep. Jesus is already done. Dang. 
For, for, for example, um, I can put my hope in that, that, that Duke would beat Florida State yesterday because that happened. Right? But, but that's not hope because it's not a future thing, but, but that's been done. Jesus died on the cross for my sins and for your sins, and then God rose him three days later and sealed our hope in him. It's been done. It is finished to tell us die. Um, it is done, and that's the only place that our hope is secure is in him. And so we need to unify around that so that we can say to other brothers and sisters in the body, hey, I, I see you putting your hope in something that's fleeting. I see you putting your hope in your looks. I see you putting your hope in your kids. I see you putting your hope in your spouse. All good things, but they're not going to ultimately satisfy you. Our hope's got to be in Jesus. And that's something worth unifying around. But it doesn't stop there. All right, so, so, so we unify around one body, kind of knowing our role and then pursuing that. And then we unify around <clears throat> one hope. And third, we, we unify around one faith. One faith. Uh, th this is so crucial here, and it's so important that, that we talk about these things a lot, what we believe. Right? Because there's, there's millions and billions of religions in the world today. Right? There's a lot of faith in a lot of different things. But we have to unite around the, the right one. Last week in the charge group, we got to talk through some non-negotiables. Right? Because I believe there, there's freedom in Scripture to disagree on some things. Now, I feel strongly about a lot of things, but I believe there, there's some things we can have freedom to disagree on. For me, the, the, there's five non-negotiables, and I'm not going to have time to go in-depth in these. If you want to uh, have a discussion, we can. We'd be glad to. But for me, uh, five non-negotiables are the inerrancy of Scripture. The Bible doesn't have any errors. The virgin birth of Jesus. The substitutionary atoning death of Jesus. The bodily resurrection of Jesus. And that Jesus is coming again. We have to agree on that for me to consider you a brother or sister in Christ. Now, we can disagree on, on how he's coming again, but that he is. And so the, those are our five non-negotiables. But we have a, a lot of freedom other than that. For, for example, uh, for, for me, three brothers that I probably learned for more than any other three people is Kevin DeYoung, Tim Keller, and R.C. Sproul. R.C. Sproul, um, I, I believe, is worshiping the king in heaven right now. And I will see those other two brothers in heaven as well. And, and I've learned so much from them. But there's a few things that I disagree strongly on. But we, we are grounded and unified on the important things. They have a different view on baptism, but those five things, they would uh, amen and hallelujah. Because that's what's important. And, and we get in trouble whenever we begin to put a, a secondary or even a tertiary issue and make it primary, right? Whenever we begin to date, uh, debate for 22 hours about exactly how God saves us. Uh, let, let's just realize that God desires to save all people and let's take the gospel to him, yeah. right? This isn't worth fighting about. And so we got to unite around the important things the things that are central to the gospel. So we unite around one body, one hope, one faith. And the fourth one is one baptism. One baptism. And this one, to me, when I, when I first read it, seemed a little bit out of place. Because uh, like I just mentioned, I, I believe baptism is something we can disagree on and still be in heaven. Here at Walk Church, we believe in baptism by immersion for believers. 
After you declared Christ as your Lord and Savior, you follow him in baptism. We don't believe in sprinkling. We don't believe in infant baptism. But what, what, what Paul's communicating here is the gatekeeper of the church. And, and what I mean by that is, is we need something to identify people that we're supposed to unite with. If you show up to a stadium and there's not a single person in the stadium wearing a jersey, you're not going to know who to run the play with. Right? But what baptism does, it signifies to the world and to the church, hey, I'm on God's team and I'm c- committing to live out the gospel in every day of my life. And so I'm going to now unite with these brothers and sisters. Right? Because we're not going to be able to unite with unbelievers on these things. And so that's what, what, why baptism is so important with it, because we unite around that. And we declare to the world, hey, we're on this team together. And we're all going to do our part. And these are four crucial things that we all need to grow in our unity around, right? Of one body, one hope, one faith, and one baptism. One of the, the coolest areas I've ever seen this displayed in the church is in Acts chapter 2. Just a little bit of context there. Uh, Jesus has already um, ascended into heaven to take his rightful place on the throne. He's appeared to the Um, disciples several times and appeared to 500 even at once. And then at the end of his ministry, only 120 people are in this upper room committing to follow him. And they're just praying, praying for the spirit to fall. And just so happens that Pentecost is about to go on. That's 50 days after Passover, after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And so this is where the nations come to Jerusalem. People from all over the world come here and and they're praying for the Holy Spirit to fall on them. And, and, and Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit and goes out and preaches the gospel. He really quotes a lot of scripture. And everybody hears it in their own language. It was just a, a miracle from God. And 3,000 people got saved. I mean, that, that is an incredible Sunday, right? Went from 120 to 3,120. God did an incredible work there. But what happens is Acts 2, verses 42 through 47, describe how the early church works, what they began doing. In verse 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Now, what's so crazy to me about this verse is that these people didn't have the same language in common, They didn't have the same background in common. Uh, They didn't have the same skin color in common. They didn't have the same sports team in common. They didn't have nothing in common. But it says they had all things in common. There's two meanings there. The first is that they were looking out for one another. They're saying, hey, if you need shelter, you stay with me. If you need food, I got you. Like, nobody's going to have any needs. Like, we're looking out for, for each and one of us. But I think it's even deeper than that. Even though they didn't have a single thing in common, they said that if they had the gospel in common, they had everything in common. It, when Jesus was so far first in their life, whatever was second or third or fourth or fifth, it didn't even matter because if you had Jesus in common, you had everything in common. That's the type of church we want to be. One of the ways kind of today I see this played out um, it, it, my brother Hayden is, is a self-proclaimed city boy from Las Vegas. And, and, and I'm from Mobile, Alabama. And I tell you Mobile, Alabama, because you've never heard of Sims, Alabama, population 3,000. Right? And I'm about as country as it comes. 
Hayden is a world-class basketball player that would enjoy going to the mall more than most things outdoors. Now, now me, I'm not world-class at anything and would prefer hunting or fishing or camping or hiking or just about anything. You're going to make me a really happy dude. Now, now Hayden is really cool, and I'm really not. <laughs> I, I give you an example. Like, like 60% of the things he says aren't even in my vocabulary. I just got to shave my head and go with it. The other day he was telling me um, we're going we're to go to this event in a couple weeks. He said, make sure you have a crispy blazer. And uh, the only time I use the word crispy is referring to bacon. So I, I just I went with it. Uh, I don't know if that meant like freshly pressed or a certain color. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, but, but in any realm in life, we wouldn't interact much because we don't have hardly anything in common. But because Jesus is so far first in our life, we can be incredible friends. We can talk for hours. We can care for one another. Because even though we don't have any of those other things in common, we have him in common. So we have all things in common. And that's the type of church we want to be. One of the things that, that Charles Spurgeon said, he says, um, Jesus never commands the church to be one. He says, you already are one. He says, just start acting like it. Wow. And that's what he wants us to be here. He wants us to be unified around these things. And there's nothing more in the world that Satan wants than for that not to happen. There's nothing more than the enemy wants than for than to create disunity in the church. And something I often say is that disunity really is just people unifying around the wrong things. Right? Because we could have 95% of us unifying around all the stuff about one, one body, one hope, one faith, one baptism. But if we got 5% that are unifying around how they don't like the music, they don't like the way that we do uh, kids ministry, or they don't like meeting in the school, or or they don't like that I'm wearing salmon pants, Wilson. <laughs> um, right, but that's what creates disunity. And it's just whenever we're unified, when we have people unifying around the wrong things. And so we must do whatever it takes to protect the unity of this church. Whatever it takes. Paul says uh, in verse 3 of chapter 4, he says, I'm eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. He says, I'm eager to do this. I mean, you see this throughout Scripture. One of the things in Proverbs 6 that God detests, that God hates. Did you know God hates things? He hates someone that sows discord in the church. He calls it an abomination. And one of the ways that I, I see this um, happen most often in a church, now, I'm not saying here, but, but in churches, it's through gossip. When we have uh, brothers or sisters talk negatively about other brothers or sisters or, or things that we do. And we have to do everything possible to protect against that. And I don't know about you, but for me, I've never, like growing up, I never had a good um, framework on what gossip was. Right? If I ever mentioned somebody's name, was that gossip? Or, or I, I just really didn't know. And so kind of what, what I live by now on, on what gossip is or isn't, or like who, who am I okay to tell something to? Right? Am I tattling or what have you? And, and I want to give you freedom 
here's the people that you could tell something about. Tell something negative. If it's somebody that um, has done the action or the action has been done against or somebody that is in a position to change the situation, to affect the situation. That's who we have freedom, I believe, according to Scripture, to confront. Matthew 18. But anybody else, anybody else we share something negative about or negative to is sin and is abomination before the Lord. Let me tell you how some of these conversations start. Is Hey, can you believe what so-and-so put on Instagram? Did you see what Ryan was wearing to church today? I mean, this is how, how they care. Man, uh, we might even share it as a prayer request. Man, I'm so confirmed, uh, uh, concerned about so-and-so because they're doing this and this. Man, we just need to pray for them. No! Man, that's talking negatively. That's sowing discord in the church. That's, that's, that's voicing problem issues or concerns with somebody to somebody that doesn't need to hear it. And that um, is one of the biggest um, problems of the church. That's one of the biggest things that, that will prevent us from doing the impossible. Because when I used that example earlier about uh, Nazi Germany, the, the only way that they were defeated is whenever they started having to fight a two-front war. As long as they were able to focus all their effort and energy in one spot, um, they weren't going to be stopped. But whenever they had to focus it in two areas, they were easily defeated. That's what happens to the church. When we have people bringing up problems, issues, concerns, making um, uh, secondary issues primary, we're taking our attention off the main goal to expand the kingdom and having to address it somewhere else. And that's when the enemy wins. So here's how, how we need your help. There's a couple of ways that we need your help. If somebody, anybody in this church, begins a conversation similar like the ones we said, and they say someone's name or some issue in a negative light, as soon as they get, hey, did you see so? Stop. That's what we're going to need you. I'm going to need you to stop. And you either confront that person Share that with them, that problem is your concern, or you don't tell another soul. Because I'm not going to sit here and listen to you and, and take part in your sin by just listening. The second side of that is if you're that individual that's spreading the gossip, that's just telling other people about problems issues, or concerns that they have no business knowing about, you need to repent. You need to repent. What that means is you need to go to whoever you've been talking about and you need to ask for their forgiveness. Ryan, they don't even know I've been talking about. It doesn't matter. You've sinned against them. You've sinned against God. Go ask for their forgiveness. Go uh, ask for the Lord's forgiveness. And what repent means is saying you're going to do everything in your power to make sure that doesn't happen again. So maybe you even need to tell your friend group, the people that, that you are most prone to gossip to, hey, as soon as I bring up another person's name, slap me. Just stop me right there. Don't, don't let me go any further. And if you're not willing to do that, if you're not willing to repent, you don't need to be a part of Walk Church. Like, it's that serious. You don't need to be a part of any church. We're not asking you to go find another one. But if you're willing to, to stir up gossip and strife and sow up discord in a church, you don't need to be here. Ryan, that sounds harsh. Um, in 2 Timothy 
starting in verse 23, he says, have nothing to do with foolishness, ignorant controversies. You know what they breed, quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth. Like, like uh, Paul's taking this seriously because God takes this seriously. Because that, that's one of the, the, the biggest flaws of the church whenever um, the enemy is, is, begins to speak lies into the church. And we begin to believe them. We, then we begin to spread them. So we must do everything we can to protect the unity of this unity church. of this church and accomplish what, what God has set apart for this body of believers. Because he wants to do incredibly much through you. But we need to be unified around the right things to do it. Would you bow your heads with me? We're going we're gonna to have a time um, to respond to the word.